Well, turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, we're continuing, of course, our study of the Gospel of Luke. Luke presents Jesus. We've seen this as the perfect man, the Savior, the substitute, and the sacrifice for the sins of the world. We're seeing the early ministry of Christ. It's very powerful because we're seeing his authority. He shows us his authority by his teaching. When he teaches, people are amazed. We also see his authority by the healing and the miracles that he does. He shows he has power over sickness, over demons, over nature, even the authority to forgive sins. This morning, we're again seeing what is considered to be one of the most famous passages in the Bible, and that we call it the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you went to the Gospel of Matthew in chapters 5, 6, and 7, three whole chapters is the Sermon on the Mount. The Gospel of Luke really starts about verse 20 and goes through the end of the chapter, verse 49, and that's what he records for us. So it's a little bit shorter, a little bit less things, but it's incredible because we see some great truths there. This morning, we're going to look at two things. We're going to see the blessings and the woes, because he's going to make a contrast between believers and unbelievers. Sometimes we call these the Beatitudes, where it'll say, Blessed are those who are poor, for yours is the kingdom. Blessed are you who are hungry. Well, we're going to see the blessings and the woes. The blessings deal with the believers and the woes with the unbelievers. So we're going to see that contrast as very powerful. Then right toward the end, and we'll take just a few minutes on this, and we'll get more details on it next week, the real question is, how do we treat our enemies? Those who are against us, we're going to see the goal is to be like Christ. But as we go through life and as we live in a fallen world, there are going to be people opposed to us. There's going to be this fallen world opposed to us. How do we deal with that? There's so much. The goal, of course, is gained from our study of this portion of God's Word. Well, I read just recently about a survey that was, that was uh, given out, recorded. It was sent to a large number of people, and they asked this question. The question was this, what is your greatest need? And some people said things like, God grace needs money, fame, success. But there was one answer that was by far the top answer above everything else, and it was to be loved, to be liked, to be well thought of by others. All people have this need that they feel loved, that, they, that other people love them or that God loves them. I want you to understand this, that all of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior... We are loved by our God and Savior. It is an unconditional, unchanging love. So every one of us in this room, in that sense, we're loved by God. When we think of others, sometimes that's a different story. When you think of fellow believers, you say, well, sometimes we love them and they love us and sometimes we don't. But then we think about the world, the fallen world system. We do not expect the world to love us. In fact, we expect just the opposite. Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you. Realize as believers, we have an enemy. The enemy is the devil, and then the enemies is this fallen world system in which we live. The world is our enemy, and it is opposed. When we stand for Jesus Christ, this world is opposed to us and all that we do. This morning, as we continue in our study of the Gospel of Luke, we're going to see what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And at the very end of this little part that we're talking about this morning, not the end of the sermon, but at the end of our little section this morning, he's going to talk to his disciples about how in the world do you deal with people, how do you treat people who are your enemy, who hate you, who say bad things about you, who actually want to harm you. How do you deal with them? We'll see that. We learn, and our goal is that we learn how, as children of God, that we're to relate to those who are our enemies. Well, let's begin. We're early in the, the ministry of Jesus Christ. He's in the northern part of Israel. They're around the Sea of Galilee. His headquarters is Capernaum. He's going from different places teaching. He had just gone up on this mountain, which, which we call it a mountain in the Bible, but it's a long, sloping hill. He'd gone to the top of that hill. He'd spent the night in prayer. And the next morning, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 men, which he then renamed 
apostles, which were going to be sent out with his authority. After naming those guys, he came down the hill to a level place. Not all the way to the bottom, but to a level place. And he had all his disciples with him, and a big crowd gathered around him. In fact, verse 17 of of Luke chapter 6 says, Jesus came down with them, stood on a level place, and there was a large crowd of his disciples and a great throng of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon. So these large crowd comes down, and he's going to teach them. And if you notice, it says some were from Tyre and Sidon, which means they weren't Jewish. So there's some Gentiles there. There's Jewish people there. There are people from Jerusalem. There's people from the southern part, the northern part. There's this giant crowd. He's going to take this opportunity to look back up at this long sloping hill, all these people seated on the hill, and he's going to teach them. He's going to talk to them. And we're going to see what he says. Now, Matthew gives us three chapters of what he said. Luke gives us the last part of chapter 6. Let me give you an outline of what we see in Luke, chapter 6, verses 20 through 49. First of all, this morning, verses 20 through 26, we're going to see what we call the blessing and the woes. Blessed is this, woe is this contrast between believers and unbelievers. And it's very powerful. And as we look at it this morning, we're going to talk about it. Sometimes people misunderstand it. He says things like, blessed are you who are poor, but yours is the kingdom. Blessed are you who are hungry, you shall be satisfied. What is he talking about? Well, we're going to see he's making a contrast between being a believer now in a fallen world and being an unbeliever now in a fallen world. And then a contrast between what's it going to be like in the future for the believer and the unbeliever. We'll see it. Then in verses 27 through 36, we won't see all that. We'll just see part of it this morning. He's going to de- we talk about how do we deal with our enemies. And next week, we'll go into some details on this because it's very powerful. Then the third thing that's in this passage is verses 37 and 38. He's talking about judging and giving. It's only two verses. We will slow down there for just a Sunday or two because we're going to talk about judging. Because one of the things you hear people say all the time, the verse actually says, do not judge and you, are you, and you will be judged. Or do not judge and you will not be judged if you judge this, this. And we've heard that. You've heard that when sometimes somebody will be doing something wrong and somebody may go up to him and say, you know that's wrong. And they'll say, who are you to judge me? The Bible says you're not to judge. Is that what this means? Well, in a couple of weeks, we'll get to this one figured out. It also talks about giving. And because he talks about give and it will be given to you. There's a principle in the Bible called sowing and reaping. And I want you to see it. It's in every aspect of your life, and we'll talk about it there. Then he's going to get into verses 39 through 45, examining others. In fact, he talks about looking at the lives of believers and unbelievers, and we'll see how that ties together. And then the last thing, he talks about verses 46 through 49, building on the Word. He talks about the Word and taking the truths and principles. The foundation of our lives is the Word of God. And he goes back to himself being the rock, but talks about the Scripture as well. So there's some great things there. Now, he's come down to this level place large crowd and he doesn't just start teaching there is incredible ministry going on because he's doing all kind of healing notice verse 18 they had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured and all the people were trying to touch him for power was coming from him and healing them all now, it's an incredible ministry. Sometimes we picture, oh, he, Jesus is just kind of standing there. No, he's, he's talking, teaching, and, and people are touching him. People are being healed. People who have demons controlling them, are, uh, they're being cured from that. I mean, it is an incredible, powerful ministry going on. He then turns to teach. And it says he really turns to his disciples to teach them. And as we see it, he also gives information in a sense that some people will call this a Sermon on the Mount and say, well, it's how we live or it's general principles for living the Christian life. And what we want to see is what does he say? Because he's going to make a contrast. 
And I want you to see it. A contrast between a believer and non-believers. Notice he says, And turning his gaze toward his disciples, he began to say. Now, I want you to see this. There's a contrast between believers and unbelievers. And, and we've some of this we've called the Beatitudes because of how he says it. But I want you to see this. He gives a description. He says this. Those who believe in Jesus Christ, now they may be poor and hungry and have sadness and persecution. That's in this world. But one day, great joy and blessing. And then he says those who reject the unbeliever in this world, they may be full and have happiness and honor, but one day it will be the opposite and they'll be separated from Jesus Christ. I want you to think about this before we actually see his teaching. All of us in this room who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, simply by faith you will believe in him for eternal life, we are children of God. We live in a fallen world. We can expect sadness. We can expect opposition. We can expect sickness and, and sorrow and things because we live contrary to this world. When we live for Jesus Christ, when we live by the Bible, when we say we believe Jesus is the only way and that we stand for Him, we're living in a fallen world and we can expect sadness and sorrow and persecution and things that are wrong. But our future will be joy and gladness and blessing. But those who have not trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior... They may have it all now. They may say, oh, I've got the pleasure of this world and this life and everything. But one day, there'll be separation and sadness. So as we begin, he's, he's looking at his disciples. Look at verse 20. And turning his gaze toward his disciples, he's going to teach. He's going to talk about believers and unbelievers. He's giving it blessings and woes. And look what we got. We got four blessings and four woes. The blessings deal with the believers. The woes deal with the unbelievers. And let me tell you what he says about believers. He says, we're poor, one day we'll be rich. We're hungry, we're going to be full. We're weeping, there'll be laughter. We're slandered, there will be great reward. And then what he says about the unbeliever, he says, well, you may be rich, that's all you're ever going to have. You may be full, but you're going to be hungry. You may be happy, you're going to be sad. You may be spoken well of, but one day you'll be separated. And so what you see is a contrast between those who believe and what we experience in a fallen world and those who do not believe and what they experience in a fallen world and then what the future will hold. Well, let's start. He begins with the believers. And it's the, the, what we call the blessings. Sometimes we call them the Beatitudes. Look at verse 20. And turning his gaze toward his disciples, he began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, or for, for you shall be satisfied. And blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name. And he goes on and on. And what we see are the blessings and the woes to follow, but the blessings are for the believers. Let's look at the first one. And he says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is, now notice, present tense, yours is the kingdom of God. Notice what he says. And returning his gaze toward his disciples, he began to say, and the way it's written in the Greek, he said this for a while. This went on for a while. He said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And as a present tense, you have the kingdom now. We'll talk about it in just a second. When he says, first of all, blessed, that Greek word means to be happy. It means to have joy. It means to have something special from God, goodness from God. He said, Blessed are you who are poor. When he's talking about poor, he's not talking about physical poor. He's not saying, you're really happy if you don't have any money. You don't have anything. That's not what he's talking about. 
He's saying, blessed are you who realize, in fact, one of the other Gospels says, you are poor in spirit. And what that means is that you recognize that you have nothing to offer to God, that you have nothing to bring to God. Blessed are you when you say, I realize there's nothing in myself that can earn my way with God in any way, shape, or form, and I come to God in His grace and in His mercy. When it says, blessed are you who are poor, we're realizing that there's nothing in our lives we could give to God that would have anything to do with our salvation. Now, every one of us in this room who know Christ, there came a time in our lives that we realized that our goodness, our works, our baptism, our church, our, nothing could measure up that we could bring to God and say, God, I did this, now I can be your child. We have nothing. We're poor in that sense, poor in spirit. That's why he says, blessed are you who are the poor, the ones that have nothing to bring to God, those who come to God just by faith in Christ. Notice what he says, yours is present tense, the kingdom of God. It's present tense. Right now we're part of the kingdom. Right now we're children of God and we enter the kingdom because you enter the kingdom by faith. Now, some people get all confused and, and they, they say, well, what, what do you bring God? What do you give God for salvation? And they'll say, well, you give Him your life or, or you, you give a public deal or you, you're willing to turn away from all the... Listen, you give Him nothing. You don't earn your salvation in any way, shape, or form. You're poor. You have nothing to offer. We blessed are those who come to God saying, we got nothing to offer you. We take Jesus Christ, our Savior. He says, yours right now is the kingdom of God. Now, when he talks about the kingdom, there are two aspects. When he says kingdom of God, he, in this passage, he's talking about the whole aspect of the fact that you, you are a child of God. You belong to him. You, and that's why the Bible says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name, John 1.12. We're children of God and we're connected in the kingdom. There is a second aspect of the kingdom of God, which one day, Jesus Christ will come to this earth a second time. First time he came to this earth, he came to die on the cross to pay for sins. He was born in Bethlehem and died on the cross. Second time he comes to this earth, he comes as the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Revelation 19.11 talks about it. Psalm chapter 2 talks about it. He comes to rule and right Righteousness and justice, and when he comes, you're going to be with him. You're in that kingdom. You're part of that kingdom. The Bible talks about he will rule in righteousness and justice in Jerusalem for a thousand years. It's found in Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 through 7. It says it's seven times a thousand year reign of Christ. He is the king. And so when this passage says, blessed are you who, who are poor, you come to God with nothing, yours is the kingdom. You're part of the kingdom, and one day you will rule with him. It's very powerful. So that's the first thing. To be blessed, happy is the one who comes to God with nothing saying, I have nothing to offer you for salvation. You're part of the kingdom. There's a second one. And he says, blessed are you who hunger now. Now notice what he put. Hunger now, you will, future, be satisfied. Notice he says, blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. The, right, the idea of hunger, one of the other gospels says, hunger and thirst, or, thirst after righteousness. I think the idea of hunger is that you're not going after the things of this world. You're, not, you're, you're hungered in the sense that you don't have these things. You're not pursuing the temporary things of the world. In fact, as a child of God, and as one who stands for Jesus Christ, you're going just the opposite. You're saying, I don't want the things of this world. They're only temporary anyway. And the truth is, when you are hungry now, hunger, you will be satisfied. One day, when you're with Jesus Christ, and one day in that kingdom, He is going to say to you, Well done, good and faithful servant. Take this which has been established for you, and you will have so much. 
And so he says, blessed are those who are hungry now. You're hungry now. You don't have the things now. You don't have the things of this world now. But you will be satisfied. That's future for us. See, a lot of the things for the believer is future. Now, we get blessings now, and God gives us stuff now, and we have all the blessings of the rain falls on the just, the unjust. There are so many great things. But this is nothing, because it's all temporary. This world is temporary. It's going to be burned up. We're going to have something so much better. So he says, blessed are those who hunger now. You're hungry now. You're going to be satisfied. There's another thing. Look at this one. Blessed are those who weep now. You will laugh. We weep now. You know why? Because you look around and you see a fallen world. And you see people dying without Jesus Christ. And you see people you love get sick and die. And you see sadness and evil and, and all these kind of things. And, and, you, and, you, and you say, this, this breaks my heart. You're weeping now. One day you're going to laugh. But we're weeping now. I know this may not sound exactly right to y'all. But you know, a week and a half ago, and I, I was actually, I always put my messages together a week in advance. So I put this together before last Sunday. And you know, last week when I was studying this is when Anna Nicole Smith died. And you know, it made me really sad. I don't even, I don't know. I don't know anything about her except what you see. And all over the newspapers, all over the TV, everything is about Anna Nicole Smith. And she had a terrible life. Best we can tell, we don't know much, but I hope she trusted in Christ sometime in her life so that she has life, eternal life. But you never know by looking at her life and what it was, it was a sad life. And my heart breaks for people like that. They, they think if you can have fame or money or fortune or looks and this, and that's going to make you happy and we all find out in nothing, it doesn't help at all. In fact, the people sometimes who are the most miserable have all those things. And we weep for those people. And there are people you come in contact with every day. And they think money's the key. And stuff is the key. And fame is the key. And they don't know. And our hearts ought to be breaking as we look around a fallen world and say, this is, this is terrible. But one day, we're going to laugh. We're going to have fun. There'll be joy in the kingdom. We'll be with our Savior, Jesus Christ, and, and those who have trusted in Him. And it's going to be joy. Right now, it's not joy. It will be. Blessed are those who are poor because they got the kingdom. Blessed are those who are hungry because one day we'll be full. Blessed are those who weep now because we're going to laugh. There's one more. He says, blessed are those who are rejected by this world. Notice what he says. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil. You know, that happens. People hate us and they ostracize. They cut us off. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about when you stand for Christ. Because notice what he goes on to say. And scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Let me tell you this. If you stand for Jesus Christ on the campus, if you stand for Christ in your office, if you stand for Christ in your neighborhood, and if you say something like this, I believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to get to the Father except through Him. It's just by faith in Christ. I believe the Bible is God's Word. I believe there are things that are right and wrong. I believe that we should live a certain way. I believe that we... If you say that, and you say you stand for Christ, there will be people automatically hate you. There will be people who are against you. In other parts of the world, they will kill you if they know you stand for Jesus Christ. Because they're killing them every day in other parts of the world. 
So when you say, I stand for Christ, there will be those who hate you, ostracize you, insult you, and scorn your name for the sake of the Son of Man. That's our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, what do you expect? If they hated me, they're going to hate you. He says, blessed are you when they do this. Why? Notice what he goes on to say. You'll be glad. Leap for joy, for your reward is great. In heaven. Notice what he says. Be glad in that day and leap for joy. Why? For behold, your reward is great in heaven. You're going to be rewarded. You're going to stand before Jesus Christ. Now, I think there's two things that stand out here. There's joy and rewards. He says, be glad in that day. Leap for joy. Leap and, and have all this. For your reward is great in heaven. There is joy in relationships. Now, people misunderstand something. Most do. We'll see it more when we get to verse 38 when it talks about giving. So here's the thing. Most people believe that you can be happy while you get things. If I just had another car, if I just had a different house, if I had different clothes, if I had this, if I had this, if I just had that new gadget, if I had that new phone, if I had that new computer, if I had... Everything's going to make me happy. But what we find out, it doesn't make you happy. It never can bring contentment because there's always another something else and it always wears out. It always breaks. It's never the way you thought it was going to be and it never brings joy. never does. You think for just a few minutes, hot dog, I got this phone. I got it. Look at this phone. And then it goes, hey, what happened to the phone? I got, what happened to the phone? I've got to take the phone back. And then you get a good one. And still, after a while, you say, it's just a phone. You know what brings joy? Relationships. Your relationship with Jesus Christ. Your relationship with your family. And your relationship with your fellow friends and believers. That's where you get joy. And he says, be glad in that day. Because your reward, notice the second part, your reward is great in heaven. He's going to reward you when you live for him. He will say someday, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. You'll stand before your Savior. That's what we want. You know, 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Keep on keeping on. Galatians 6, 9 says, We're going to reap if we don't faint. Keep on living for Jesus Christ. And when you stand before your Savior, He's going to say, Well done. Notice what He goes on to say at the end of this verse. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. He's saying that in the same way, even even those who stood for Jesus, even those prophets who stood for the Lord, who would say, Thus says the Lord, they were treated that same way. You know what they did to the prophets? Sometimes they killed them. They threw them in wells. They cut them in two. They, they They killed them. They did everything they could to them. See, the world has always hated those who stand for Jesus Christ. And if you want to stand for Christ, just get ready. Now, I want you to stand for Christ. You should. Nothing greater, but just expect it. So he says, blessed are you. If you're poor, if you have nothing to offer to God because you're in the kingdom, because you trust Jesus. And if you're hungry because you're not going after the things of this world, you're going to be full. And if you're weeping because you see the saddest world, one day there'll be joy. And if they hate you, just remember they hated Jesus and there will be rewards for you. You stand for Christ right now, I guarantee you when you stand before your Savior, He will say, well done. And you could say, you know what, they were against me. He like, I know they were against me. But they didn't like me. I know, they didn't like me. What do you want? You want him to say, well done? Or do you want to have the joys of this world? This temporary, fallen, corrupt world? What do you want? Stand for him.
Let's see the contrast. I'll go very quickly. What about the woes? Because the woes deal with the unbeliever. And notice what it says. Woe to you who are rich, for you're receiving your comfort in full. The word woe means sadness. It means a sorrow. He says, woe to you who are rich in this world, because he says, this is all you're going to ever have. This is it. You've got your comfort in full. This is the best they're going to ever have. Have you ever thought about this? For the unbeliever... This is the best they'll ever have it. For the believer, this is the worst we're ever going to have it. He says, woe to the one who is rich in this world, who's gone after this world, who doesn't believe in Jesus, but, but is loving the world. You got everything. You're receiving your comfort in full. This is all you're going to get. The temporary things of this world are eventually going to be gone because they are temporary. Look at the next one. Woe to you who who are well fed. You got all the stuff of this world. You're going to be hungry. See, the idea of well fed here is, look, I'm, I'm not missing out on anything from this world. I'm going after all the things of the world. Well, guess what? There's going to come a time it's all going to be gone. You're not going to have anything. Look at the third one. Woe to you who laugh now. You're going to weep. Why? Because they're going to be separated. Remember what the Bible says? There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There are going to be people who are so caught up in this world and they think they got this world and all that's with it and it's all temporary and they think they don't need God or Jesus or anything and then one day they're going to be separated from Him and they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then last but not least, he says, And woe to those when all men speak well of you. For their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. He says, when they speak well of you. Because see, you're honored by the world. The world always honors its own. This is how they treated the false prophets. See, they treated the ones who were contrary to God. They treated them fine. And the world always does that. The world always treats well those who are contrary to God. Because it's the fallen world system and the system is contrary to God. You understand that? There are people who are popular in this world... Because they are contrary to God. Let me tell you something you may not grasp. There are people in this world who are in pulpits, who are in ministries, who are on television, who are very popular in this world, and they don't believe the Bible, and they have never trusted in Jesus. But they're very popular people. There are people in all other things, entertainment, sports, politics, that are popular with this world, but they've never believed in Jesus. Because see, all you have to do is just stand for Christ. Just stand for Christ. And people will attack you. The world will attack you. Now, these people aren't standing for Christ because they don't know Christ. And he says, woe to you. When all men speak well of you, when you're fit in with the world, when you're part of the world, because that's the way they used to treat the false prophets. What a contrast. Believers, we don't have this world. We don't have the things of this world. In the future, there's going to be great joy. We'll be with Jesus Christ. The unbeliever, they have this fallen world and the things of this world. But in the future, they'll be separated from God. There'll be sadness and weeping. So here's the question. Where are you? Where are you this morning? Have you believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life? And, and in a sense, living opposite to this world. And one day, there'll be the great joy. And even though there's sadness now. Or are you an unbeliever? Are you loving this world? Are you caught up in this world? You say, I don't really need God or any of that. I just do my own thing. And one day you'll be separated. I want you to understand something. The way of salvation is simple. It is very simple. Jesus Christ came to this earth as the Son of God. And he died on the cross and he took the sins of every human being. He did satisfactory payment not for our sins only but for the sins of the entire world. He paid for every sin of every human being. He died and rose again conquering death. 
Anyone who will believe in Him, trust in Him for eternal life, will be saved forever. It's that simple. The Bible says, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever, anyone who would believe in Him, trust in Him, would not perish, not be separated, but have everlasting life. It is that simple. I hope and pray that every one of you in this room, now I know a lot of you, I look at your faces, I say, oh, I know them, I know them. And there's some I don't know. I hope and pray that if somebody came to you right now and said, if you were to die, would you go to heaven? You'd say, yes, because I have believed in Jesus Christ for salvation. He is my Savior. Now you're going to live in a fallen world, and if you stand for Christ, guess what's going to happen? It's coming after you. There'll be weeping. There'll be hunger. There'll be sorrow. But one day, there'll be laughter and joy and rewards. And very quickly, I just want to see one last thing, and, and then we'll stop. And that is, how do we deal with those who are against us? Because when you stand for Jesus Christ, and I hope and pray that every one of you will say today, not only have I trusted in Christ as my Savior, but today I'm going to take a stand for Christ in a fallen world. And I know what to expect. Well, how do we deal with those who are against us? How do we deal? You know, the religious leader said this. They said, love those that love you and hate those that hate you. Jesus said, you have heard that, but I say to you, love those who hate you. Now, we're going to see four things. I'm going to give it to you very quickly. And next week, we're going to go with the details. But before I give you these four things, I want you to understand that you cannot live this out in your power. Because what we're going to say is going to be beyond you. It's going to be beyond us. The only way we can do it is to be God's power through us. We have to live the supernatural life with the power of the Holy Spirit through us to live in this way. We cannot live this way in our own power. We will always fail. So let's see what he says. He says, but I say to you who hear. Now what he's fixing to do is how do we respond to those in this fallen world who hate us? Four things. The first one is love your Enemies. He said, love them. And the word enemy means those who are opposed to you. He says, love them. They hate us. We are to love them. Jesus said, they know you belong to me by your love. What is the great commandment? They said, Jesus, what's the great commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. And number two is equal to number one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, as he got ready to leave, said, I'm going to change it. I'm going to give you a new commandment. And that is, you love others as I have loved you. It's a little bit harder even. Love them all. Even those who are your enemies. Now, think of somebody who is your enemy. Now, I know you have some. Everybody does. And think right now, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to love that person. Is that what you want to do? That's not what you want to do. That's natural. Supernatural is you love them. Look at the second thing. Do good to those who hate you. Notice what it says. Do good to those who hate you. The word hate means to detest. They don't want to have anything to do with you. They would say, I don't even want to be in the same room with you. And you know what it says for you to do to them? Do good to them. You say, I'm not doing good to them. They hate me. Now, what does it say to do? Do good. Because you've got to be different if you're going to stand for Jesus Christ. It says, do the morally good thing to them. Look at the third thing. Bless those who curse you. Now, the word bless means to speak good things. It means to praise them. Praise those who say bad things about you. That's what curse means. 
Now, what do you normally do if somebody says something bad about you? You say, is that what they said about me? Let me tell you about them. That's what we want to do, right? He didn't say, he said, don't do that. He said, you're going to have to live a supernatural life. And you're going to actually say good about them. Supernatural. One last one. Pray for those who mistreat you. The word mistreat actually means to do evil or harm to you. He says, pray for the ones who want to harm you. The ones who want to do evil to you. See, what's natural? Vengeance. But vengeance belongs to the Lord. Paul says in Romans, do not return evil with evil. Return evil with good. So how do we respond to those who are against us? We love them. We do good. We speak well. We pray for them. Now let's get practical. How do we respond to those people who are coming after us, who don't like us, who are the fallen world, and because we stand for Jesus Christ, they're contrary to us. We love them, and the greatest act of love is to tell them about Jesus. We do good to them. We, <clears throat> we reach out. We help them, even to our enemies. We speak well of them. When they say bad things about us, we say, I don't know why they said it. Maybe they've got a good reason to say it. I'm not saying anything bad about them. I'm not. Speak well of them. And last, pray for them. Pray that they'll trust Christ. We've got to be different. When we look at this in detail next week, because we're going to see in a lot more detail, we're going to talk about being different because we're to be lights in a fallen world. In fact, we're to be innocent, blameless children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which we shine as lights in this world. That's Philippians. We've got to do that. What have we seen? Jesus teaches, heals the crowd, shows the contrast between the believer and the unbeliever and what we call the, the, uh, the Beatitudes, the blessings and the woes. He tells uh, these believers that they're to love their enemy and do good and speak well and pray for those who are against them. Let me give you some applications very quickly. Here's the first one. Our decision for Christ now will affect our future. If we trust Jesus Christ now... We have eternal life and a child of God. We're a child of God. Now, it may be that as you trust Christ now, there's going to be sadness and sorrow. You're going to be hated as you stand for Jesus Christ. It's going to be contrary to this world, but you realize what all eternity will be like. And number two, if you reject, people reject Christ now. We may have the pleasures of this world, but it's all temporary, this fallen world. One day there's separation. So where are you? A. Trust Jesus Christ as Savior. If there's anyone in this room that's never trusted Christ, I hope right now, right where you're sitting, you will say, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died for me. I believe He's my Savior. I'm trusting in Him and Him alone to get me to heaven and for Him to give me eternal life. You'll be saved forever. B. Realize that God will reward believers in the future. When you stand for Christ now, in a fallen world where there's hunger and weeping and sadness and where they speak bad about you and reject you, one day God will reward you. And you'll hear Him say, Well done, good and faithful servant, when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be rewarded for the things that you have done. Second application, last, is this. Let's be different than the world as we respond to those who hate us. Let's love those who hate us. B, let's do good to them. C, Let's speak well. Don't slander them. And D, let's pray for them. You can never do that in your strength. It can only be God through you. May we trust in our Savior Jesus Christ, knowing that this is going to affect our future destiny. And as children of God, let's love, do good, speak well, 
and pray for those who are against us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great morning. Thank you for this passage. Lord, there's so much there as we think about the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount and the things that Jesus teaches. Lord, we know that what, what happens now, what we believe now about Jesus will have an eternal destiny for us. Lord, I pray that everyone in this room trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, even though now we might live in this fallen world and there be the sorrow and the sadness and the hatred and those kind of things. But we know one day we'll be with our Savior forever and ever and there'll be joy and happiness. Lord, we pray that uh, if anyone is in this room that has not trusted Christ, they'll trust Him right now. Lord, thank You that as we stand for You now, even in the midst of a fallen world, You will reward us when we stand before You. Lord, we must be different. And as those who hate us, this fallen world, may we love them, do good, speak well, and pray for them. We want to be different for You, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.